Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, everyone. It's your host, Adam Childers, here on the podcast known as Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. Everybody out there, I'm excited to uh, be here, as always, in the Crow's Nest. Um, it is one of those days where uh, you can kind of feel falls in the air, uh, which got me quite excited. Uh, OU Texas uh, is right here on the horizon, and which means uh, a lot of people are enjoying fall break, uh, if maybe not uh, OU football. Uh, but what we really need to, to concentrate on here today is um, uh, a real fun topic that I think we've got today for discussion. Uh, it's one of uh, it's with one of my colleagues uh, from the labor and employment section, and uh, that's none other than uh, Michael Bowling. Say hello to everybody, Michael. Happy to be here, Adam. Well, good. I'm glad to have you here. Um, you know, we are. Uh, you know, we're going to be talking today about. Um, uh, something that, uh, some people might think to themselves, well, you know, does that have anything to do with me? And that's, uh, the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, and, uh, specifically a, a decision involving Tesla, uh, and, uh, and some important precedent, precedent setting, uh, that happened in this particular case and why it's important for just about every private employer, uh, out there. So, uh, but before we talk about that topic, uh, I also want to make mentioned that uh, Michael and I are going to be uh, uh, teaming up uh, soon, uh, not just in this podcast, but at the uh, 2022 uh, Crow and Dunleavy Labor and Employment Seminar, uh, our yearly seminar uh, tour where we go to Oklahoma City and Tulsa. Uh, this year, uh, Oklahoma City is October 13th, so coming up very soon, October 25th uh, in Tulsa. Uh, and, uh, we're, we're looking forward to, to, to doing that. It's going to be at the, uh, Renaissance Hotel and Convention Center in Tulsa. Uh, and it's going to be at the, uh, downtown, uh, Embassy Suites Medical Center in Oklahoma City. I know, Michael, you're going to be, uh, talking on some, uh, business immigration, uh, topics. Is that right? Yeah, J.C. Booth and I will be talking about ways that employers can leverage uh, foreign national pipeline to address their staffing shortages. Very nice. Well, uh, and we're having a we're having a, a kind of a rock and roll music festival theme to the entire uh, uh, event, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, uh, producer Tyler, who makes sure that we uh, put on a good show here on, on Briefly Legal, is also heading up our efforts on that. And he promises uh, a, 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 a rock, uh, a rocking atmosphere is what I'm told. But we'll come back to that here uh, in a little bit, Mike. We'll revisit that 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 rock and roll uh, angle on your um, speech. But let's first uh, let's dive dive into uh, today's topic, which is um, something that you wrote about recently uh, in a, one of our client advisories that went out. Uh, it was entitled Dress Code Danger Zone, uh, which, uh, you know, I, anytime you can get Danger Zone into your title, you know you've done, uh, you've done well. Um, but before we get into the facts of that Tesla case, let's hit on the, the issue that we kind of started with, which is this is not just an issue for unionized states or unionized employers. This is really an issue that should catch the attention of all private employers. So, so tell us why that is. 
Yeah, I think a lot of employers, particularly in states like Oklahoma, where our rate of unionization is actually quite low, um, don't pay any attention to the National Labor Relations Act. It doesn't come up that often. However, the National Labor Relations Act is actually about much more than unionization. It applies to most private employers and protects employees, not just with unionization, but also really any conversations, discussions, work together they're having where they're addressing their terms and conditions of employment. So it can be as simple as a break room conversation about how much are you making? Right. Uh, what should we be making? Uh, all the way up to should we think about unionizing? It covers anything and everything in that scope. Right. And so terms and conditions of the workplace kind of is the, is the, the, the scope of it. And, and we've talked about this and I, and you know, this isn't even really a, a, a political discussion. It's just a fact. This is one of the most aggressive, um, NLRB, uh, and, 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 and presidential administrations in terms of, um, backing union rights and by extension, you know, broadening those rights under the act. Is that, is that a fair way of explaining it? Yeah, that's very fair. President Biden nominated and put in place a new general counsel for the National Labor Relations Board who has avowedly stated that her job is to expand protections under the National Labor Relations Act. And she's taking very uh, forward thinking view of labor law uh, beyond what the board has ever endorsed before. Uh, we'll wait to see how much of her agenda she can get through. She's been very open about that agenda. It's not a secret. Uh, but so far, she's been successful in pushing the the now democratically nominated um, board three to two, three Democrats, two Republicans to accept her interpretation of labor law. So we could see some radical shifts in the next couple of years. There's no doubt about it. And, and, and it's it's interesting in that the board routinely kind of from administration to administration kind of swings wildly from, you know, I can remember during the Obama administration when there was very strict rules on, you know, what you could do with your, uh, for instance, your your internet policy, right? And then, and then that changed under the, the next administration. And now we're starting to see some of those old rules creep back. And so you really do, uh, you have to kind of, keep track of not just what's happening now, but what used to be the rules because it might be coming around again. Yeah, it's a real employer whiplash effect. It is. It is. Well, uh, speaking of that, that whiplash effect, then let's talk about what was happening in the Tesla case. Can you set the stage for us, Michael? Give us the, the background facts that, that, that helped, well, that created the foundation of, of what the decision was all about. Yeah, this was all about the dress code policy at a Tesla manufacturing plant. Uh, Tesla implemented a new policy uh, related to the kind of T-shirts that could be worn. Uh, people could wear either Tesla team wear, uh, which was specifically uh, given to them uh, by Tesla. And they, in fact, had different colors for different types of employees. They said that was for visual management, knowing the right people were on the line, the right people were managing. Um, or you could wear a plain black T-shirt. And their stated reason for this was they didn't want the um, symbols on T-shirts to actually be causing scratches on new vehicles. Oh, wow. So that was the stated reason from Tesla. Okay. Uh, a little aside, there was no evidence presented that there had ever been a scratch on a car. I wondered. I, I mean, seriously, I just I thought, man, that's... That's really looking out for the car, but you know those who drive Teslas. I'm not one of them, but uh, but uh, you know I'm, I'm sure they they don't have any scratches on them. So uh, they're worth a lot. So you got to make sure they're taken care of. So that sounds fairly innocuous. I mean, there's a lot of uh, similar dress codes. You we're all used to seeing different you know establishments that have you know kind of you know a, a, a uniform that we can kind of count on. But where did the problems begin? 
Yeah, the problem began uh, with this board. So Tesla's policy actually matched prior board precedent. So the board had a case back from 2019, a Walmart case, where they said if it was a facially neutral policy on its face, it did not, in fact, uh, impinge the ability of employees to discuss terms and conditions of employment or to discuss unionization, uh, that on its face it was going to be okay unless it could be shown that, in fact, it was impinging the ability of employees to engage in those kinds of conversations. With this case, the board flipped that on its head. Uh, It said that if it implicitly may... um, harm the ability of employees to discuss unionization, the terms and conditions of employment, that on its face, it's going to be an invalid policy. If it implicitly does so. Hmm. So here, because the the policy didn't specifically state that an exception to the policy would be the wearing of union gear, the board found that the policy uh, violated the National Labor Relations Act. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's, yeah, that completely turns the Walmart decision then on its head. And and as you said, Tesla had modified in order to be in accordance with what was then the existing law. But uh, turns out that that doesn't matter much if you've got a different interpretation coming down the pike. That is the challenge of dealing with the NLRB and the National Labor Relations Act. You already mentioned it going from administration to administration. And even here, um, they indicated that their decision was retroactive, that it applied uh, to every case, even those who were pending. Um, even employers who were operating in good faith under the Walmart decision that the because Walmart was, in their view, wrongly decided, it could not be appropriately relied upon. So any caveat that they created or any uh, way that an employer could still, you know, have some sort of exception in these circumstances? Yeah. So there is still the opportunity to limit what people can wear to work, uh, but you are required to prove special circumstances and the employer bears the burden of those special circumstances. Uh, The Tesla case actually is a good example of thinking through special circumstances. I mentioned that Tesla had indicated it was to protect the cars, Mm -hmm. but they could provide no evidence they were actually protecting the cars with the policy. And so the board found that they had not proven special circumstances. There have been prior cases that were noted by the board in this decision where, for example, healthcare companies having particular uniforms, particularly in patient care areas, okay. uh, were ones that could be considered special circumstances that companies with uh, customer facing positions that they could have dress codes that required a uniform for customer facing positions that limited what employees could wear because of main, uh, brand management. So there are circumstances in which employers can, in fact, have uniforms and particular dress codes. We just have to be really thoughtful about that in terms of thinking through, as opposed to doing it and thinking later about why we did it. Right. We really need to think on the front end of what those special circumstances are going to be. And make sure those special circumstances can be corroborated. As you said, if no one's ever really scratched the Tesla with their, you know, their logo, then maybe that doesn't stand up. And, and so that would, you, you got to think on the front end, but also find something that's going to stand up to, you know, being tested. Exactly. The the fact that you can come up with reasons in a conference room to support the policy isn't going to be sufficient. It's got to be on the ground. Is this actually making a difference for your company? All this discussion about, you know, stickers and buttons. And I, I'm always reminded of um, the movie, uh, uh, was it Office Space uh, with uh 
Jennifer Aniston and all the flair that she had on her uh, on her uniform. I'm thinking, uh, well, that that would be a terrible uh, uniform decision today, right? Because if you already allow for all of that, I suppose that they'd have they'd have the same freedom to sort of festoon themselves with every you know union sticker that they wanted to, right? So part of this has to do with not only thinking about what the limitations you want to have, but you know. How much do you want them to uh, allow them to be able to do? Because a commensurate amount might be required when it comes to you know your your ability to you know show your your interest in a union. Exactly, um, thinking through the the exceptions that you provide, or the, in fact the enforcement of the policy. So if you have a policy, but don't in fact say anything when somebody wears that button supporting a, a local team mm-hmm. um, or a particular cause. Um, whether it be one of the ribbons that people wear these days of different colors becomes an argument for saying, well, if you allow that, that's an exception to a uniform policy, then you're going to need to go ahead and allow exceptions uh, for terms and conditions type communication or union type communication. Right. And, and, and as we, we know and, and, and have seen out there, there, you know, this, this, the, the spectrum is when you talk about terms and conditions, it's not just somebody coming in with a union sticker. It could be, uh, you know, a political message related to some, uh, you know, some of the societal, uh, you know, works for justice that are out there, uh, whether that's uh, Black Lives Matters uh, or or other organizations. So, I mean, it, it really runs the gamut, right, of, of the kind of things that you could be dealing with. Definitely. And that's one of the challenges that comes with this kind of board policy is in from the general counsel's view, many of these social issues she assumes are, in fact, workplace issues. Mm -hmm. So you're left with the board that's going to tell you, you may say you can't have any political messaging at work. We're neutral. We just want to be a company that serves people. Um, Our customers don't want to be seeing that here. But you could face a board that's saying, well, your workers get to display those political image, those political messages, because in fact we think they're workplace messages. Right, like the very wearing of it itself is the protected act, right? Exactly. And, which again is a, a very expansive uh, view of the NLRA, uh, which is enforced by the NLRB. Uh, but yeah, it, that just goes to show <laughs> as this administration continues to unfold and that 3-2 vote can continue to swing in the general counsel's favor, we, we may see even more aggressive pushes on, on all of these fronts. Yeah. And I want to note one other aggressive push, even within this decision. Uh, many employers have had dress code policies that's, that already had exceptions for buttons or stickers. Uh, based upon some pre-Walmart uh, precedent where they thought they were okay. is You can wear a uniform, and if you wear a non-obtrusive button or sticker related to one of these terms and conditions of employment or unionization that will allow that, the board specifically found that simply having an exception that allows buttons, pin stickers is insufficient. That, in fact, that union messaging could go beyond that in this case, and we have to realize that that's for a broader set of messages as well, and so here, Tesla tried that. They said, well, we did allow stickers on, mm-hmm. on compliant T-shirts. And the board said, no, our prior precedent, which I tend to think they stretched it a bit. <laughs> but they said our prior precedent was that you have to prove special circumstances for each type of things worn in the, in the workplace. So you wow. not only have to say, well, we allow buttons and stickers. You then still have to prove why you can't wear that T-shirt. 
And that's, yeah, that's, that's an expansive, aggressive view. And that also means there's a whole bunch of dress codes uh, and policies and pro- for private employers that probably need uh, uh, a good amount of tinkering, if not, you know, wholesale revisions, which probably is a nice segue really uh, into, you know, all of these topics, what we hope to do is distill them down into, you know, what our listeners need to be doing, um, uh, you know, to, in response. So, so talk us through some best practices and, and lessons learned moving forward for employers. Yeah, I'd say best practice, lesson learned. There's change always coming from the board. So a policy that you thought was compliant, that you in fact had an attorney review within the last couple of years even, is not necessarily compliant today that um, with these changes from the NLRB, uh, you could easily have, I think Tesla was in this situation. They had a policy that was compliant with the Walmart decision and suddenly find themselves on the wrong side of the NLRB. Mm. So actually going back to, to the beginning with your dress code policy, this is a good opportunity to review it, to understand why have you made the choices that you've made from a dress code policy. Um, I wouldn't say you needed to, from the beginning, throw it out, but start with the why. Here's the policy we have today. Why do we have it? Um, are there any ways that it implicitly um, limits people's ability to communicate with one another about uh, terms and conditions of employment, which I think is the most important question here in Oklahoma with most employers, given our lack of uh, too many unionized employers, and really think through the why so that if you are going to go ahead and have limits on the dress code that could implicitly limit, mm-hmm. um, going ahead and be able to explain that and potentially explain it in the policy. So that it's right up front. So that I was going to ask you that if, if whether you do that kind of a, a memo to file that you bring out later, but you 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 would actually incorporate it right into the policy itself. I think you got to think about that. And, you know, a lot of good policies start with a purpose, mm-hmm. an explanation to employees of why, in fact, that policy is being implemented by the company, and that's a good way to explain to people why you've made the decisions that you've made. And I kind of like to do that kind of across the board yeah. with policies. Um, but particularly now for dress code, if you have somebody go, who's going to go to the board with a with a problem and they say, well, do you have a copy of the policy? At least the board then gets to see from the front what you thought was the reason that you could have the limitations that you do. Yeah. So I think going back and starting with why, then I think you really have to think through, are you going to go ahead and explicitly state what is allowed from a, a union or terms and conditions of employment perspective? I'd say that is the board's expectation. Um, I know a lot of employers cringe at that. So that, many will, yes. Yeah, that putting right on the face of it, yes, you can wear this type um, of uh, regalia, T-shirts, buttons, pins, whatever it's going to be that's compliant with the dress code policy. I'd say that there are ways to word that where you don't have to say, talk about unions, right? So <laughs> you don't right. have to necessarily say that in the policy. There are way, there's language from the NLRA that's... Uh, less upfront about that, that could be appropriate in a policy and would be compliant. And then I think once you've thought through, can you prove the why? If you can't, you just got to be ready for those, for those messages to be shared at work. And how are you going to deal with it? Think through, uh, you know, what's going to be your response. And really, I think supervisor education, a lot of supervisors, if you just simply roll out the policy without an explanation, may see these types of communications at work and immediately think that they're, they're wrong and come down on an employee when, in fact, they're doing something that now fits your new policy, but also fits uh, the board's precedent. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because the, all the work on the policy in the world can't stop the damage that can be done by a supervisor shutting down that kind of protected activity and saying and doing things that 
ultimately, you know, words on a written page can't can't rectify. So, yeah, I think that's so key is and particularly as we've harped on that, although this isn't a, a state with a high rate of unionization, it is a state that is covered by the NLRA. And uh, a lot of folks don't understand that. And with an aggressive um, you know, NLRB office, you know, under, we'd hate to see people get caught, you know, unaware. And so I think training is, is every bit as important as the, as the policy revisions. You, you're, you're right, right on about that. Well, um, it, it's a fascinating look into really just one facet of what is, uh, as you've pointed out, uh, an aggressive stance by, um, uh, the NLRB and, and one in which I think we're going to see some of the, old decisions resurrected. And I think we're going to see some, uh, you know, built out to, to even greater lengths than we've ever seen before. So there's, in in my mind, I think you would agree, there's never been a, a, a more important time to be monitoring these developments and making sure that the workforce is, is you know, ready for them. So uh, I know you're um, helping out a lot of our clients already in this regard. And, and, and obviously, for listeners out there that are now thinking to themselves, boy, it's been a long time since I've looked at that dress code. Um, well, you'll certainly know where to turn uh, if you have those kinds of uh, issues that need to be addressed. Now, um, before we close things out, I, I, I promised at the beginning uh, with the little tease there that we, uh, you know, we've got this uh, festival lineup, this rock and roll theme for our upcoming labor and employment uh, uh, seminars. And, and I should have mentioned, um, for those of you who, uh, you know, uh, want to be registered, uh, you know, the, they're, they're filling up fast. We always have uh, hundreds of folks come out for these, uh, you know, every year, but you can go to our events page, which I think you find under the news tab on uh, Crone Dunleavy's website, uh, and you'll find a landing page for the registration for those seminars. If you haven't registered already, by the time this uh, podcast drops, you'll still have a little bit of time to get in for Oklahoma City and, and then a couple weeks for Tulsa. So we really hope to uh, see as many of you as we possibly can. But um, talking about that, that, that rock and roll, uh, uh, theme. Um, I uh, I heard that you had this great idea that you passed along to uh, producer Tyler about uh, maybe we should all have uh, you know walkout music uh, when we come out in the seminar, which I. I, I, I'm smitten with the idea. We've, we've got to do this, but now I'm now I keep thinking, what's my walkout music going to be? Surely, if you came up with this idea, do you know what yours is going to be? Yeah, we wanted to be thoughtful about the topic that we were in fact presenting on. Uh, so JC and I will be coming out uh, to the music of the Queen of Coachella, the Queen Bee herself, uh, Beyonce's Run the World. There you go. Somehow I knew that Beyonce would come up in a podcast uh, between the two of us again. And of course, that's going to be your walkout music. I, I knew with JC as your partner, it, maybe there'd be a little bit of give and take, but it sounds like... Uh, you know, the, the, the Bay Hive is, uh, is alive and well. You guys are, are going to go with your favorite. JC's a firm supporter. Okay. Well, good, good. You're going to make her a card carrying member. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Well, now this has just got me, uh, you know, churning on, on mine. I'm going to come up with something good. I, I can't let you guys completely upstage me, but, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm going to be speaking at the end of the day. I'm going to be actually talking about, uh, the, the Dobbs Supreme Court decision, uh, overturning Roe v. Wade and, um, some of the, 
those surprising impacts that has on um, policies and procedures for employers, including uh, benefits issues. So um, we'll see if I can, uh, you know, uh, tippy toe my way through a very difficult <laughs> political uh, hot potato, uh, but hopefully um, hit on those points that uh, employers and HR professionals will, will, will want to know about. So should be a great time and looking forward to hearing you and JC speak and, and getting uh, my turn on the stage as well. So, well, that brings our podcast today to a close. Um, it's uh, always great to visit with uh, all of you out there. Um, Want to remind you once again, as we always do, that, um, you know, if you've got a topic uh, that you are interested in hearing about on the podcast, uh, we've, uh, I think we've, this is episode 44 or 43, I, I believe that uh, we've done. And uh, we, we, we love all the great ideas that come in, but we're always looking for new ones. So hit us up if you would at uh, briefly legal at crowdonlevy.com. Uh, shoot us your ideas. You might just see one those uh, become a future podcast uh, topic. In the meantime, I'm hoping that all of you uh, stay safe out there and uh, just enjoy this uh, fall weather. And uh, as we kind of turn the turn the, that clock that speeds us ever so quickly to the holiday season, but uh, just uh, have fun out there, be good, and remember to tune in next time and enjoy our time together here on Briefly Legal.